Welcome back and happy new year, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. This is your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. Uh, I'm going to pass it over first to Spartan Grown. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, happy new year. First and foremost, 2022. We're hopefully we're going to start out good. Have a great show. Uh, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word. Or if you don't do Instagram, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. I'm an organic and synthetic farmer. I do them both. Happy to have you back, and I'm happy to be back. Last week, I was, like you mentioned, on the road. I made it back safely from Arizona. I got to see the in-laws. It was nice. Uh, but I'm happy to be here again uh, to be with the crew, as always. Next up, we got Brandon Rust. What's going on, everybody? Brandon Rust here. If you don't already know me, you can... Uh, you can check me out at rust.brandon on IG. I own Bokashi Earthworks, and I also just started a new garden. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. 2022 is going to have a lot of good things in store. So, uh, yeah, you come check out uh, my business profile. You can check out bokashiearthworks.com, and you can also email, email me at Bokashi Earthworks at Gmail. Good stuff. Uh, always important to let the people know where they can find you and contact you. I know a lot of people that listen do like to reach out sometimes so often that we can't get back to all of them, uh, at least quickly. I try to get back to everybody when I can. But uh, with that said, Matthew Gates just jumped in and I'm going to pass it over to him next. Welcome, Matthew. Yeah, hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated <laughs> pest management specialist for those who don't already know and if you're looking for plant health information you can find me a bunch of places i write uh for skunk magazine which we have an article coming out in spring very soon i'm actually writing an article right now you can also find me on my xenthanol youtube channel where i'll be commenting as well in the chat and you can also find me at my personal instagram account at sync angel s-y-n-c-h-a-n-g-e-l and for professional inquiries you can find me at xenthanol.com Happy to have you back and happy new year. Uh, last and certainly not least, I'm sure we'll have a little a few late joiners as well, but um, the American one, welcome back. Same to you, Jack, and happy 2022 to all of you. Um, I'm the American one on uh, YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the uh, IG. And uh, yeah, I see everyone in chat, see some people, Smart Polka, Chad Westport, Rowdy. 710. Yeah, everyone, uh, me all flower. Uh, it's good to see everyone in chat. It's good to see everyone here. And uh, no matter what you do or where you are, or what you do, 2022 is the year for you. We're going to make shit happen. Let's get it. Bringing the roaring 20s out. And I also want to shout out Ancient Soul Grown, who uh, formatted uh, 50 Strands of Green. Good dude from Down Under. Uh, cheers to you. And I thought the smart poker you brought up, he kind of. Uh, had me on an idea this morning. I was watching Sun Dazed and Confused on Smart Poker's YouTube channel. And I was thinking about how uh, last night I mixed up and reamended some soil because I had to do it for my next run because I don't have any fresh soil. I, I'm forced to, at this point, take the remaining soil that I have. That's something I've been needing to do for a little while, but I've just been putting it off, putting it off. But uh, I reamended and it made me think maybe we should do an episode going into the new year to talk about kind of resetting. Uh, whether that's reamending or what do you do to clean up and get started for your new grow? My cat's currently attacking my uh, tent and my wife is uh, telling him not to do that. So you might hear him meowing in the background. That's what that is. 
But uh, in spite of that, I think um, an easy place for me to start would be just um, talking about the soil reamendment. I kind of use a mix of Spartan Groans uh, M3 because that was my base. It's a peat-based uh, medium. So if I were to do the Dr. MJ, who's not with us quite yet, but uh, Coca for Cannabis is doing the New Year's Grow Challenge, and one of their categories is uh, peat-based. And that's what mine is. It's a peat with perlite are basically the two big amendments for um, it's like a third peat, a third compost and a third aeration, the aeration being um, perlite. And after a few runs, well, after one run, really, it's uh, no longer good. So you have to reamend it. And Spartan shared with me his recipe. And I went from there and I added a few little extra things to it. I guess I should bring it up here on my phone. I've talked about it in the past a little bit. Uh, it's kind of a combination of some stuff from Brandon and some stuff from uh, Spartan and a little bit of my own uh, secret sauce, not so secret sauce. I've shared this in the past. Anybody who wants a recipe, I will be happy to DM it to you. I actually pulled it up last night as I was reamending, and I was like, just checking because I've got extra amendments that I don't use. So I don't want to like confuse myself and add more stuff in there. Um, but the way I reamended because I had so much used soil and I just needed to make enough for 15 like solo cup size uh things was i had an easy swap pot which is about two gallons even though it's called one gallon and i poured a bunch of the used soil in there broke it all up or whatever and um instead of using that used soil and transplanting into it <clears throat> which is my typical uh, go-to method i just put all the amendments in there like i was about to plant into it and then mixed all of that up to use in the solo cups and um basically i have it written out like fill the pot with used soil form a hole for the new plant which you don't have to do um, add mycorrhizal fungi. In this case, I was using recharge. Shout out to Scotty Real. I think the stuff works well. And I couldn't find my mycos, which I usually use. Uh, that stuff's good too. Then it says 2.5 milliliters of insect grass. I kind of eyeball it. <laughs> um, transplant root ball, which I didn't have to do. Top dress with worm castings. I use uh, some really good ones. I'm trying, they're Terravesco from the Biggest Little Farm documentary. Uh, Coot even approved of them. So I was like, shit, if you can get them commercially and Coot thinks that they're good, might as well try them. And the next thing after the worm castings is build a soils craft blend, which is a mix of like 17 different amendments, uh, basically all the amendments that they provide in an even ratio. So that way you kind of cover all your bases, a half cup of gypsum. Uh, this is, I shouldn't say half cup because it's based on, he said 1.5 to two cubic feet uh, was for Spartans mix there. And then the green stock additions would be top dress another layer of worm castings, uh, then use a thin spread of Okashi, like 25 to 50%. And then a little bit of rice hulls to replace any aeration. Like perlite gets smashed up into sand or it floats to the top or is lost in transplanting and things like that. So a little extra aeration. You could use uh, pumice as well in that aeration. So did all that, mixed it all up, got my solo cups filled. And I am germinating some Velvet Punch F2, which I made from my buddy uh, Doja DNA's F1s. And Velvet Punch F3s, which uh, I haven't given out to anybody yet. I'm going to grow them side by side. Pop in 15, trying to find the two best females, uh, one from each generation. So that's uh, my reset and reamend plan. I use bleach and stuff to spray stuff down and wipe everything up. And, uh, you know, you know, sweep, do all that extra things. But that's basically my reset and reamend plan starting off the new year. I'll probably try and do the New Year's Pro Challenge. I'm not going to promise anything because I might not have enough time. I'll pass it over to Spartan Grown and uh, ask how do you go about resetting uh, when you have to get your new grow started up? Because I know you're more of a perpetual guy, so maybe it's never fully down and out. Yeah, but there's always a spot that's down after a harvest. So um, it's hopefully only down for a day at the most. But um, in that day, I just go in there and get it cleaned up and I get the next round in. Um, as far as reamending, um, at home, I'm mostly organic on uh, 
90% of my grow, but I am right now. I've started up uh, a cocoa grow in a spare tent that I'm going to run some. It's just, uh, it came up on me. I was looking, you know, early when you're looking around and you're thinking about cleaning up around your house, spring cleaning or whatever you want to call it. I just looked over on my shelf and I saw tons of like free samples and different nutrients. I'm like, I'm going to start using this up. So I've got some cocoa and I'm just going to uh, run um, a bunch of autos and just keep running autos in that tent and cocoa until I run out of free nutrient. Um, but other than that, so that, so that is just a complete reset. I would just use new cocoa and start and restart fresh. But as far as my soil grows, it's very similar to what you, you had said. I'm watching my plants as they finish though. So in my flowering cycle or right before they get cut and harvested and pulled out of there, I'm watching, that's about the only time I'm keeping any mental notes really is, is I'm watching what those plants look like. How quickly did they fade? Did it look like they faded too early? Did it look like there was a, a nutrient imbalance or a, a deficiency somewhere over top and above what I normally see? If that's the answer to that question is no, everything looks good. Then my general rule of thumb is, is I'll just do a, a half cup to a cup of uh, craft blend on my, uh, on my planner. And then uh, I just, I don't ever measure the worm castings. I just cover it by like a good quarter inch, just level across the top. And then uh, I'll do some uh, malted barley over top of that to get it going. And then maybe Bokashi over top of everything. But uh, that's really all I do. I don't, I don't really add a bunch of extra stuff unless, you know, I saw some sort of deficiency. If I saw that it ran out of the like nitrogen really early on where that's a common one for me. I'll see here and there on heavy feeders. Then I'll throw some alfalfa in um, as a top dress as well on top of my other, but usually the worm castings bring enough nitrogen. That's a great point. I um, had forgotten to mention at the end, once I mix all of this stuff up, the first thing I water in, um, and I'm not like a build a soil sponsored person or anything, but two of the things that I really like for reamending come from them. The next one being the big six plus micro it's like big six micronutrients plus humic acid. And you water that in after you reamend the soil. Um, love that stuff. And then after that, Brandon and I were talking a little bit before the show. And I was saying I was going to follow it up with microbes uh, from him. He's got his micro plus. And I was going to wait until the next watering to do aminos and his, use his amino end product. And he said, just do them both at the same time. So uh, that's the end of my reamendment, my first waterings. And then waterings moving forward, I kind of use the aminos sort of as needed. Uh, Spartan said about once a week, I feel like that's roughly how much I'll give them, uh, roughly same amount as I give the microbes as well. So with that said, I want to pass it to Brandon himself. Uh, you said that you just remixed some soil as well. And I know you're uh, getting a uh, grow started up for this new year. So uh, what's your recess reset process like? Um, okay. So if you guys want me to, I can kind of go through like an in-depth about some of the mineral amendments and then, you know, why and how much of what I typically see. Um, okay, so before I would do, I would always be measuring nutrition by plant health, by, you know, what the symptom of the plant was. But I don't do that anymore because my plants don't get to the point where they're showing symptoms because I have these target baselines. And then I can also preemptively act to adjust by doing things like tissue and sap analysis. 
So um, at the end of a run, what I'll do is I'll take a soil sample. <clears throat> if it's in pots, like I'm doing now, what I'll do is I'll take, um, I'll take multiple soil samples from different pots and then I'll homogenize everything together. If it's a bed, I'll take a couple different samples from eat from different parts of the bed. I'll homogenize that. But what I do is I send that off to the lab. The lab gives me a reading on what's in the soil as a total and then um, what falls into solution. So what's available, what diffuses into water in a biologically uh, of a biologically available nutrient. So they're they're um, they're uh, elemental form that's usable um and it gives me two different data points and that's what i base my that's what i base my re-amending off right everything okay over there yeah it's good <laughs> uh the re-amending i'll look at you know how much calcium do I need? How much nitrogen? And it's based off of how much veg time I'm going to have because I know how much nutrient I'm going to need for veg. And I, need, and I know how, and I know what the target level for veg is for every single specific nutrient. And then um, I'm just based it off that. What I'm usually doing um, is making sure I'm adding uh, mineral sulfates. I'm adding, and then usually for nitrogen, amino acids, or a type of meal. And I'll, <clears throat> so <clears throat> the reasons why I use the mineral sulfates is because they're all water soluble and they all have sulfur in them too. They have that sulfate that's really important. Canvas loves sulfur. Um, and the only time I ever see uh, any type of sul sulfur being too much is it might cause some osmotic stress or if there's not enough nitrogen um, so gypsum which is calcium sulfate is my main source of um, of calcium however i also add um, the calcium phosphate for phosphorus and so I have to look at the amount of calcium that's in also in that phosphorus source. And then I subtract that to the amount of gypsum that I would use. And then I'm also looking at pH. If the pH is low, low 6.0, let's say. I'll add, soil pH? Yeah, yeah, the soil okay. pH. I'll add what's called wollastonite. And wollastonite is calcium silica. And it's another rock mineral, just a ground up rock mineral. And what that does is it helps uh, bring the pH up and it helps stabilize the pH. It also brings up more calcium and also silica into it. So if I have to adjust the pH, I'll adjust the pH. I'll look at how much calcium is in that um, the wollastonite. And then I'll add my phosphorus because it always needs to have an adequate source of phosphorus for the microbes to solubilize. And then I'll look at the calcium in that, and then I'll add whatever else I need as gypsum. So I'll just add it as gypsum. The reason why I don't use things like um, bone meal or oyster shell meal is because typically the amounts that you have to add bring in a lot high sodium and high chloride. Bone meal could um, have high cadmium. Um, then I go down to magnesium, uh, uh, potassium, 
And I have to look at the balance between calcium, magnesium, and potassium, both as a percentage in soil and as uh, parts as their part per million on saturated pace, which base which is their base saturation. And so for uh, magnesium, I use Epsom salt or magnesium sulfate. Uh, for potassium, I use potassium sulfate, and I like to use the water-soluble potassium sulfate if I need to get something immediately, then I need to bring it up quickly. Um, and then I also like to top dress with the granular, so that way it's always going to be available in that level, because, dude, they eat a lot of potassium, and typically when people start seeing those um, those petioles and also the purple streaking on the stems, it's usually because there's a, like a imbalance right there. That's the first sign. It's not always just that. I've also seen uh, nitrogen deficiency and phosphorus deficiency um, cause it. But usually the main thing from the data that I collect is that the magnesium levels go over the potassium level. So what happens is the potassium becomes deficient. And it, that's when you see, that's what you're seeing typically. Or there's some type of variation with those three elements. Um, so Funny, potassium sulfate. I had that happen with a plant. I overvegged because I thought I had my two, you know, prime females to go into flower. And then one of those prime females ended up being a male. So one of the plants that has had kind of chilling in veg and too small of a pot, it got a little hungry and it started to get that, you know, red stemming and streaking. When I threw it into the earth box and flower, it started because it had more availability of all those things you were just mentioning you could see it over the finishing up through of the flower process continue to get greener and greener. And that red stemming like actually can get kind of cured and go away. I was surprised to see from how far gone it was, how much you can actually bring it back with a yep. healthier root zone environment. So it's usually one of the, it's usually due to base saturation, you know, the four major soil cations. That's what I always see. Um, and then I go down to, since we've covered um, all the, major elements with, with the exception of nitrogen, nitrogen, which I'll do last, I go and do iron sulfate and I, you can literally add iron sulfate, ferrous iron sulfate at a rate of half of a cup per yard of soil every single week, probably all the way up until, you know, the fifth week of flower. And that is almost like I could can pretty much be said universal in these peat based uh, mixes because the way that iron oxidizes, um, it does it's not always available. Um, it does it doesn't stay in an available form. So that one's a little bit tricky. Um, and then I go do the other micronutrients, manganese, and I use all micronutrient sulfates. So manganese sulfate, zinc sulfate, copper sulfate. I'll use what's called solubore, uh, which is copper sulfate, or you could use borax, which has boron in it. You would use twice as much borax as you would solubore. But when you're talking about the amounts that you're using, you're literally only using a few teaspoons, like teaspoons. Seven and a half milliliters is a teaspoon. Uh, so you're only using a couple of teaspoons per yard of soil when we're talking about these micronutrient sulfates and you can buy them in large, you know, buy them in large quantities. So they last. Brandon, a long, let long me ask time. you a quick question. 
How do yeah. you get two teaspoons uniformly into seven cubic feet? Like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You water it in. Yeah. So okay. I'm going to talk to, I'm going to talk about that. And one of the tricks that I like to use when I do the reamendment process. So with these micronutrient sulfates, the reason why I'm telling you that they're, you're using such a small quantity is because it's really hard to apply as a top dress to get even distribution across the whole entire soil. So typically, um, what's what's done and what i like to do my best practice is is to water it in if you know that you have to be able to know exactly how much water you have and how much water is going into each pot or bed so you add if you know you're going to do you have two yards of soil that you need to water in and each one is going to do five gallons per yard you need to make up 10 gallons and then you need, then what you would do is you would add humic and fulvic acid to the water first, get that stirred in really good. And that's going to help keep these micronutrients in a more available form. And you also want to have your mixture always stirring, right? Because those are heavy metals. Those are minerals and they have a tendency to sink to the bottom. So you need them constantly circulating. So you get even distribution in the water. If you don't have even distribution in the water, you can't have even distribution in the soil. So you add your micronutrients into that water and then you water that over the desired area um, evenly so that way you have even distribution across the board now let's talk about nitrogen nitrogen is the last one after the micronutrients that i always address and it's because micro nit nitrogen isn't like the the minerals there's not mi nitrogen mineral that you just throw in there nitrogen is usually uh comes from either the amino acid sources that i use or from something like soybean meal, or if you could, you could use something like um, blood meal, which has, you know, about 12, 13% nitrogen. Um, however, I try to stay away from the animal inputs. So I usually recommend the soy, but the thing about the soy and the amino acids, well, the amino acids are immediately available. They'll also be sequestered by the biology in the soil. And so they have a tendency to dissipate quicker They're, they don't stay in that same form very long and then this and so when you add the combination of a, a meal and the amino acids you get the slow release of nitrogen from the from the meal which is going to break down and have a total conversion over about an entire month right so you can figure out i have a chart actually that tells me how much um time it takes for each type of meal to break down for a hundred percent release rate. So if you know that, you know, just to cut you soy... off, doesn't that, doesn't that change if, if it's a low microbial soil or a high microbial soil, is, if these... there's like very few microbes, isn't it going to break down in a slower time than it's super active? These, these are, these are target ranges where it has like, you know, okay, your adequate target range uh, for uh, pH in the soil, temperature, hydrology, those are all kind of standard. If you're operating within these parameters, it's, you know, kind of like saying these are the, obviously they're not going to be perfect because, you know, environmental factors change, but it's typically this breakdown is going to release over this amount of time. So I have a chart that that has that. And so I look at, you know, soybean meal breakdown is going to release, you know, 13% nitrogen total volume 
over a month, and that's going to equate to X amount of parts per million in the soil. And so that's how I look at it. And so I'm always adding amino acids, the meals, the mineral sulfates, um, and carbon is always really good. Humic and fulvic acids are, are amazing. Things like biochar, but you have to be careful of your sources because you don't want to be bringing in lots of sodium or chloride or other things that are harmful to the soil system that'll lock the elements out. It sounds like you're treating the meals almost like a slow release fertilizer in a way. You know, it's just like, you know, there's X amount of whatever nutrient and it's going to take however long to uh, break down. So it's a good way of thinking about it when you're doing the type of testing that you're doing. You know, I need a certain percentage of nitrogen or whatever target you're shooting for. My little hack with the biochar is I like to run it through my worm bin to kind of, for one, it'll charge the biochar kind of, and but for two, it'll also, if there's something wrong with that biochar, the worms are going to let me know real quick. <laughs> the cool thing about all those carbon sources is you'll get so much microbiological activity around all of that carbon. You will, you'll literally see microbes just bursting. If you put um, something like a unmicronized biochar and you bury it in your soil and you pull it out, you can see, you can physically see with your eyes, you know, most of the time, if you have a healthy soil, there'll be mycelium in there and there'll be, it'll be colonized real heavily. They love carbon I'm telling you, but the thing is too, you're going to have to increase your nitrogen when you have more carbon as well. Yeah, it's good to keep the balance for sure. Do you do anything else in your uh, reamendment or reset process? Is there any uh, particular thing that you like to do each time when you reset? When I reset, what I like to do is I like to water in a heavy watering of the microbe plus after I've already harvested. So that way, all of that biomass in the soil can break down really quick. So that way, when I go within just, you know, a few days, um, the soil is much softer and pliable to go do a replant right next to the, the stock that was right there. That's a good thing to do. I was fighting some of the root ball that was remaining. I had to take, I think it's like a transplanter and some other tool. I was just hacking up some root balls last night and it's, it would have been much easier if I let the microbes break down some of it. Also, I try not, I try not to let my soil dry out after I even harvest my plants. You know, I try to keep everything moist all the time. So that way that uh, soil doesn't go hydrophobic. And so that way that biology can keep breaking all the stuff that's down there because I do like to leave my, um, I do like to some leave some leaves and stuff in, in the pots for things like earthworms to break down and live off of. Ideally, I would have. In this case, I had uh, circumstances didn't allow for me to keep anything like that. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting when you're working with something that's still got some life in it versus something that has gone completely foul and like bringing it back to life versus uh, keeping it alive. Essentially, some people like to even cover crop between runs if they're not using it or just, you know, throw a little water in there and make sure the life is still going. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before I pass it over to Tao and then we'll uh, give it over to Matthew and talk about some of the IPM implications and maybe we could all talk about our favorite cleaning solutions and things like that. Go ahead. All right, go ahead, Tao. What do you like to do when you uh, reset? Well, it's constantly changing. So don't hold me to this in like another month or two. But so in the uh, 
I'm I'm dumping all the five gallon containers. They're not big enough for what um, achieve, I want to achieve. So when I so plant plant gets done, I pull it out, or um, sometimes I have to cut it out. But I'll take the at least I'll take the container size that I'm going to put in there, one gallon container, and I'll remove all the dirt to that level, not just the hole, all of the dirt. I'll put that in um, you know tote, and I'll add some amendments to that and mix it up. I leave the bottom of the uh, container to do whatever it's doing. So then I'll add um, at least a, uh, an equal scoop of uh, gypsum and langvinite and two healthy scoops of earthworm castings. And I had some uh, organic kind of like bloom uh, amendment, you know, uh, commercial amendment that I was using for it because I got it for free. That I'll throw in there and and I'll just mix that all up and then when I put the other plant in there I'll put mostly that I'll put some fresh old dirt like uh used soil and a handful of earthworm castings at the bottom right when I drop in the, the next one and then I fill it up with the rest of that and if I need more I'll just put regular uh spent soil on the top but what I do do is so with that, I think it gets it through the little veg that it's going to need and into flour. And then it, when I hit flour, I end up taking, uh, I think I'd start doing a cup. Well, it depends on how big the plant is. But I have bigger plants now nowadays. So I've been giving them a cup of earthworm castings. Uh, to, I've been, I, I don't really think it matters that much, because but I've been putting it in now, like right after the stretch is over, I've been putting in, and like I was telling people, I have uh, two earthworm bins, one that I put like mostly green and a whole bunch of other shit in. And then the other one I've been trying to keep towards potassium and, and not even phosphorus, mostly potassium. So that, um, but I also end up throwing in, you got to throw in green matter. So there's nitrogen in it. So this last batch I made, I uh, just set it, I put it in a container and uh, put wheatgrass on top, seeds and let the wheatgrass grow out of it like three or four times. I did it four times actually before I harvested it out. You know, and I cut, you cut it, you cut the wheatgrass down and then I let it grow back. So in my mind, I pulled out some nitrogen at least. Um, so that's so a chop and drop, this. but don't, doesn't some of that no, nitrogen come from it. the atmosphere? Oh, you didn't drop it. Okay. No, no, no. I just cut it. And then I put, I'm putting that in the green, uh, and the veg, quote, veg earthworm, I will eventually, but uh, I just collected it now. So, and, um, and yeah, so that's what I'm going to, so, and if they're looking a little, it looks like, like, because the one plant I, I watched, it needed a lot more, but that was in a five-gallon container. So I'm just going to watch my plants. If they need more, I'm just going to give them a little bit of more earthworm castings, or maybe, probably I'll do uh, not even a, a tea, I'll put like, two uh, tablespoons in a gallon, shake it and filter it and water that in because then it'll, uh, it won't have to stay there. You know what I'm saying? I don't even bother filtering it. I'll just dump it straight on. Well, because, yeah, because that's why I started with the crazy wheatgrass growing to get some of the nitrogen out because I think one of my plants was green and extra leafy at the end because of the high nitrogen. So, Yeah. And you know what? Maybe I shouldn't even give them anything. I hate watching my plants yellow out, but you know, it is natural and it will, it happens. It will happen no matter have, what. Have I you messed with person. Brandon's Amino N plus? Cause I know you can push that like fairly late and it 
doesn't yeah, stay around have, as well, long. I have some of the micro plus. I have both of those actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, and I think with the earthworm castings, there's a lot in there that um, helps everything and keep everything in balance too. It's shockingly low in nutrient content though. Like even the best worm castings, like when you get them lab tested, it's like 0 0.35, 0 0.35, 0 0.35. It's not like the NPK of it is like not shockingly high. So right. even though they <clears throat> seem like maybe they're rich in nitrogen, maybe it's the microbes that are in there that are making nitrogen available in the soil later perhaps i don't know yeah that's possible too it could be like yeah uh, but yeah i don't advise uh fertilizer near the end of any flower anyway if, you know just yeah in my opinion like if you're doing it the way i'm doing it in a, in a like quote super soil kind of way but i think earthworm casting is magic yeah They certainly add a lot of uh, life to the soil. I, it's probably my favorite amendment. Um, it's one that I, I refused to grow without it. So that was one of the holdups for me. I was like, well, I, I don't have access to my worm castings right now. There was some supply chain and, you know, pandemic related shit that didn't allow me to get worm casting. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do it poorly. You know, I just, I can't sit there and let my plants grow suboptimally when I know I could be growing them better personally. Like that's just, maybe I'm a little OCD in that way, but I, I wanted them to be happy and healthy. So I waited until I could get the best stuff possible. Um, I kind of, you know, I kind of, you know, I like earthworm castings, but my, you know, I'm usually focusing on more on just like the, the pure carbon side, you know, having that stuff in there in an available form, that's not going to have to be cycled or anything and just putting it in there. So that way it adds that extra amount of energy to the soil system. It acts like a battery. Yeah, I must say that, like, yeah, I add biochar to my earthworm castings. I add, um, you know, like kelp meal, alfalfa meal. And, yeah, I think it's good to put everything through there if you can. Whatever you want to add to your – but you can't always do that. And um, Oh, yeah, azomite and uh, dolomite. I mean, not just a horticultural lime. I don't know if it has a lot of magnesium or not. And I do have some Bokashi too from Brandon that I uh, I I sprinkle in there. So and you know if you put your whole plant in there, that other than the buds, then everything that the plant needs is going to be in there. It just has to be able to be made available somehow in a nutrient form to the next plant. I think the real power, or, or one one of the many, I should say, powers um, that isn't really spoken about much of earthworm castings is what they do to the soil as far as like tilth and uh i don't know how else to explain it it because more of an airy structure to the oh, soil sure. <clears throat> that's why i like to have such a large composition like coot the coots mix oh, is a third compost me. a third uh aeration and a third peat his third compost is all vermicompost so all worm castings and that's what i try to aim for if i have it available and in this case when i do i, I just feel like i get the best results from that but there's also like disease resistant properties a few of the microbes that are in worm castings offer tons of benefits like they can actually turn some of the um like heavy metals into either like non-existent or into like uh nutrients in some cases like i googled one of the names one of these really long uh microbes that is listed on the worm casting bag and i was kind of surprised just when you type it into google like what it's 
capable of doing. And there's a lot of gardening benefits as well. So it, it's very interesting, but I wanted to give Matthew yeah, a chance I forgot to, to say, oh, sorry, on, but I forgot to say that, uh, I like to add equal amount of aeration when I add the two scoops of earthworm castings. I would like to add two scoops of pumice, which I don't have all the time, but rice hulls I'm using for the time being. So to match that, because yeah, earth if, and I oh, and I just started screening my earthworm castings. I was just like scraping them off the top and kind of like, and then I went into my one container. It was hot. I mean, it was hot there because the shit was still breaking down inside the container, but the plants didn't skip a beat really. So. Long story short, though, I started screening it, and you could see like how what a difference that's going to make, and it, it's going to add more, and it's also going to add. Uh, you can get an eighth inch screen. If you can get the so, eighth inch screen, that's like some premium shit right there. If you can find, yeah, that. I got a quarter. I'm using the quarter right now, so are you, but, uh, you can find quarters about anywhere. Eighth is hard to fucking find. How sure. hard is? What, what do the worms do with the pumice? Are they able to go through that? Like they're able? No, to I don't put the pumice? the pumice in my earthworm casting. I just put it in my containers. So I oh. keep everything separate. I have an earthworm bin that I do all the earthworm stuff. Then I, um, you know, harvest the earthworm castings and use those in the mix. Yep. So that's the way. And I would, like I say, and that is what my at one point that's what was screwing me up heavy was that. I didn't add any extra aeration. Even if you don't add, adding earthworm casting, stuff breaks down and gets denser. And if you like reuse, dump it out and reuse it, you'll lose aeration. So yeah, adding aeration after you reuse soil for a while is definitely, if it's not necessary, definitely benefit, I would say. So yeah. I will say it depends on how much aeration was in there already because M3, uh, if it's your first run and you're re-amending, you'll probably get away with it because it's super heavy with perlite. Second, right, third, fourth certain. run, that stuff gets exactly. crushed. That's it floats out. Yeah. You lose it in transplants. Um, I like to add, um, when the perlite's gone, I'd like to replace it with pumice. I personally think pumice is a little better, but if there's still a bunch of perlite in there, I threw like a little bit of uh, rice hulls because it adds a little extra aeration, but it will break down, ultimately provide silica. And um, I don't know, I think it definitely won't hurt as long as you're not you know, super, super high on your aeration side. Mm -hmm. We actually had a question about aeration, but I want to give Matthew Gates an opportunity to maybe give us some advice when we go to reset, if there's any tips that you have for the cultivators out there on how to maybe avoid some IPM issues when uh, restarting a grow. Because I know a lot of people like to just say, you know what, I'm just going to go at it, not do any cleaning or anything. And I'm just going to start right back up. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like a lot of things that we're talking about, it's very context dependent, like how you're growing is going to make a big factor and what your resources are is going to be a big factor and how much and all of that. But, um, you know, like, I guess I wanted to start off by saying that for a lot of people, um, you know, hygiene is important, right? When it comes to the plants and what I mean by plant hygiene is, um, you know, in some cases people can get away with, like I recently posted a pretty popular video on my Instagram uh, with a little short video, you know, that are very popular in vogue now. And it was uh, somebody who had made a, a leaf litter mulch of cannabis leaves. They just kind of left them on the on the plant or on, on the ground, rather. Um, and when they lifted up this mat that had formed, uh, there were rove beetles, which are nice, which are good things that are around in the in the mulch. Um, couldn't tell you what species. But uh, some people were saying that uh, they can't get away with this sort of a thing because, um, you know, they'll get a fungal rot of some kind sometimes or other sorts of things. So I just want to say that certain techniques may or may not work depending on 
what you're doing and how you're growing. And the, my uh, response to that was that uh, I know people who use mulch and it's a majorly useful um, attribute and a very useful thing to cultivate for their grows. But in other locations, they just can't do it because they have rodent problems when they do that and they get, they get uh, problems like that. And they don't have an ability to mitigate that um, problem. So just again, like, you know, just because something works for one person doesn't mean it works for another person. That's my anecdote there. Um, typically, though, I do usually ask people to not do that sort of a thing, to not just let the same leaf litter uh, stay on the, the, the topsoil. Um, just because there is that sort of potentiality. Um, and some people might sort of make a caveat like, well, if their microbiome is fine, then it's fine. Well, okay it's fine up and right up until it's not sometime. And maybe that causes a catastrophe and you lose your crop or you lose that plant. So it's just important to know why it works in some cases and not others for your particular situation. Um, I like to process uh, the, the leaf litter when possible. So like if you're, um, if you're trimming or doing whatever, and if also, if you're in like a hydroponic setting, of course, this kind of goes, I think doubly or triply because um, you can get situations where biofilms can um, develop and form and uh, you'll get colonies of like bacteria and other organisms that you don't want that, that are actually plant pathogens that can uh, exist in the biofilm with the benign things like algae and whatever, cyanobacteria or whatever that you might get. Um, so yeah, I basically, and when it comes to hygiene, like there's two, I think a lot of people also, they get confused when it comes to like terminology. So like, for example, there's cleaning and there's sterilizing. If you're doing something like this, for example, cleaning is getting rid of all the detritus and like the big chunks and like, and like wiping it down and that sort of thing. You have to do this. Like if you have biofilm, for example, like algae or some sort of weird buildup of a, um, something in your, like uh, in your reservoir or your lines or something like this, if you're growing in this sort of hydroponic or something that uses the system, um, the problem that you run into is that, uh, they're very, uh, resilient even to things like oxidizing agents and that sort of a thing. Um, so the sterilization has to happen if you're going to do something like that after the cleaning, because if you don't sterilants like oxidizers and that sort of a thing, they might not be able to penetrate. And oftentimes they can't totally penetrate that biofilm because it's so robust. Nature is impressive. Um, so that's just a little, that's a tip for people who are growing in situations where that's relevant, I suppose. But yeah, a big part of it is hygiene. And of course, if you're growing continually, that's a lot more difficult to do. And I'll, I'll admit in my professional experience, um, perpetual grows tend to like for a lot of, lot of crops, they grow and they grow and they, they tend to get like uh, ambient populations of, of pests that they can't quite get rid of. It can be very difficult. And uh, it's easy to tell somebody, just burn it down, just cut it all, uh, harvest it or don't harvest it, throw it away and restart. Um, and uh, like, any, you know, anyone can do that. <laughs> Generally, you want to try to solve the problem if you can without having such a high cost. But um, uh, yeah, so like being very aggressive and in situations where you can sort of like be able to section off your grow potentially like if you have like a room or if you have multiple rooms for whatever reason like in a home grow setting maybe that's uh, i know some people have that uh setup 
um, basically if you're able to, to grow in such a way that you can kind of like cordon off different sections and maybe like clean them up of, um, of residuals or of uh, leaf trimmings of plant debris and matter, because those can harbor things like botrytis, fusarium, um, uh, septoria, um, hoplite and viroid, right? Um, powdery, did I already say powdery mildew? Powdery mildew as well. Um, yeah, so, so there's a ton of things that, um, that can uh, exist in that sort of debris if you don't sort of compost it or process it in some way, shape, or form. And there's tons of ways that people do that. In fact, Chad Westport is here in the chat, I'm sure. Um, and uh, I know that he is going to be talking about various, he's going to have people coming onto his YouTube channel. For those who don't know, Chad Westport has one. You should go check it out. Because he's going to be bringing on people who will talk about various topics um, that they're passionate about. And I think little little segments like this, like plant hygiene are, are super important. So yeah, you just have to find out what's good for you. And um, if anyone has any specific questions, either you can tell me Jack or I can answer them in the chat. Speaking of that, we've been having uh, quite a volley of great questions from the chat. And uh, Spartan and I have both copied and pasted a few into the Zoom that I think, uh, Matthew, if you feel like you've wrapped up, unless you wanna add more information on uh, your thoughts on resetting, then maybe we can get to some of those questions. No, I think that the major point that people should take away from it is that uh, it's not cookie cutter, it's not clear cut. Your situation is going to be unique, and um, you can definitely take points from from various sources. But um, if you want less hassles, uh, it can sometimes be useful to just kind of keep things a little bit more um, controlled, especially if you're a newer grower. And um, you don't necessarily have um, the, the strength with regards to like, you know, uh, uh, creating a microbiome um, that'll process some of these things. Or uh, if you're just kind of worried that you're getting too much um, up over your head, like it's better to have the plant harvested for the medicine and uses that you need it for rather than um, do something that might be complicated for yourself and costly. So I have a great empathy for people who are beginning out in that sort of circumstance. All great points. Um, we have somebody, Purple Thumb says, I'm watering the ladies now and they say hi. I think it's cool that so many listeners listen from their garden. A few people have actually requested that we talk louder or like get closer to our mics because they do listen to their garden and the fans and stuff are loud. So they sometimes can't necessarily hear what we're saying. So if you can turn up your gains and get close to your mic, I guess that's uh, some feedback we've gotten from the chat in the past. But with that said, 710DPO said, great info, been having trouble with aeration with my resets with my soil. So I guess um, I'll just give my general quick take on thoughts about aeration and then pass it over to the rest of the guys on the panel and see what they think about it. But um, it's sort of something you will get a feel for, I guess, with time. The more you remend soil, the more you'll be able to kind of eyeball like what's roughly a third. Because I think that uh, Cornell mix originally uh, then became known as like the Coots mix in cannabis. Uh, one third aeration is a pretty good rough area. I think Brandon said like 40% aeration in his soil mix, at least one of the ones that I've copied and it works really well. Um, but you know, 30 to 40% aeration, roughly, if you can get an idea of what one third is and looking at your soil, when you're reamending, if it starts to get lower than that, you need to add some in taking like a few different handfuls and just kind of taking an assessment of it. Once you water it kind of give it a squeeze it and get a clump, see how much water it can retain. If uh, there's not enough or there's too much, then you might need to add some different amendments or like more peat and, and trying to get that right balance. So it's definitely something that is um, 
a fine mix, you know, and I think it an easy way to do that is just make another batch and keep it in storage. And then you can, it's already made, it's already mixed to the ratio you need it. And you can just take from that and add, you know, handfuls at a time, whatever it is you need, it's already made up, already done. And you don't have to figure anything. That's a good point. I um, have just been recently, I had some old pots that I no longer use anymore. And my earth box has been just crushing it. And I do light re-amendments to that, but I just needed some new soil to fill up some solo cups. So I was like, all right, I'm going to pull some stuff out of these old pots and kind of see where it was at and uh, how much was still there and, and what needed to be replaced and re-amended. So it all yeah, just depends on what you're starting with. I think we're kind of on cheat mode when it comes to using these uh, earth boxes because we get so much air in our root zone anyway um so i i actually i don't know i can't even remember really growing in a regular pot so i i could understand where maybe in a regular pot that cycle after cycle you'd have to worry about aeration maybe use worms um or uh i don't know that's a tough one you need something to in a pot would be would be hard i think i think you'd need like a bed or you need a fucking large volume of soil for the area or for the aeration not to eventually catch up to you and, and to be a be a, an issue you know compaction of the soil i know certain people um have had issues with it in the past and it, it is an issue with pots you know it's inevitably if especially if you use perlite as a base which i know unfortunately like for me with the m3 the base has perlite i much prefer uh pumice because it tends to stick around a lot longer but you got to work with uh, what's available and uh I, I still think it's a great base to be honest um but you just have to kind of have an eye for if there is enough and like you said the earth box or any sub-irrigated planter or pot has or gives the plant the opportunity to have access to water and oxygen in ways that it wouldn't necessarily ever in a pot. So I highly recommend it. I've seen lots of people switch over to it in the past few years, um, that and adding mulch layers to their organic soils. It seems like a lot of people weren't doing that for a long time. I was just reading an article today uh, from a non-cannabis thing about the different mulches and the benefits. And uh, there's so many ones that aren't used in cannabis, but I think are options. So I like to keep my mind open because I have a few things that I like to do, but then I think there's places in the world that don't have the same resources or uh, things might be cheaper or might have additional benefits that I might not have even considered. So there's so many different uh, things that we can use. So it's good to not always uh, kind of be pigeonholed or get our minds stuck in a box of the only things that you see or hear about on a show. Um, it's good to open up our horizons and like Brandon has with NASA Agritech, like some of that stuff I never would have uh, considered in the past, but I'm happy to be learning more about it. And um also happy to be taking questions from some awesome people in the chat. Chad Westport talked about uh, some streaking or red petioles could be uh, working the other way because Brandon was talking earlier about uh, phosphorus and magnesium. He said, meaning more phosphorus than magnesium. I've had Epsom salt cure that, but Epsom salt is magnesium heavy comparatively. So he's saying the magnesium uh, that fixed his issue, but Brandon, you were saying kind of the opposite, but it is a, sort of a balanced uh, thing. So I, I guess Brandon was saying that. We're talking about an imbalance, the balance between calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. So it could be caused by high sodium, even if there's sufficient magnesium, there's sufficient calcium, and there's sufficient potassium. If the sodium is really high, then the plant isn't going to be able to acquire those other nutrients because all those things are antagonistic. It's, it's going to be blocking out the plant's ability to utilize those nutrients. So it's, that's the main component that I see though. 
right? It's going to be something that's related to the, ba the base saturation. That's the first thing. Sometimes it's low magnesium. Sometimes it's low potassium, but it's always an imbalance between them, between the four major soil cations. When it's that, you know, when, when that is the issue. Again, I've seen it when there's just absolutely no um, phosphorus availability in the soil. And I've also seen it when there's absolutely no nitrogen. But you can tell if there's no nitrogen, you know what I mean? Because the, the symptoms for nitrogen will appear typically before the streaking does. You know, you'll have yellow leaves that are dropping and whatnot if it's just nitrogen. I feel like sometimes uh, maybe I'm thinking that I'm seeing symptoms in other people's gardens or even my, my own gardens. And maybe people aren't noticing it or wanting to accept it. Or even in my own garden, I'll see something and uh, or, or not see something. It, it's so interesting. Like what you're talking about earlier with your testing, you're not seeing the stuff. You're finding it in the testing. Um, plant health is such a tricky thing because I, I see people's like the rise and fall of the plants. It's like sometimes they're just naturally doing that. But sometimes I'm seeing like that curl. Maybe it's like, oh, it's got too much light or a little too much nitrogen or other things like that. And um, it's just really fascinating. Um, I, I think I was watching uh in-house genetics on dude grows the other day and he's like this is kind of like i think he compared it to like ballet or like something that where it's like a, a practice you, you never quite master it uh and growing is like there's always gonna be some curveball and you might see something a hundred times and the 101 time it's a completely different thing that's causing it you know so you always got to keep your mind open and um well what i think is crazy is we're getting some people some people are getting to the point to where they want to have like zero stresses on their plants and i'm on the opposite not opposite but like i am under the understanding that the stresses was producing the medicine that i need and it's you know the plant combating those stresses that's you know producing these cannabinoids so there's always that weird back and forth push in my head is like i don't consider stresses to be a bad thing all the time so if I see my plant stressed out, I have to make that determination. Is this a good stress? Is this a bad stress? So it could be, I think those little judgment calls are like, that's where the art of growing kind of comes in where there's, you're not going to find that in a book. You're not going to find people even really talking about it. And it's just experience from growing on what, whether you're going to react or not to that. And, and you knowing the plant. Like wind is a perfect example of that. I think the wind stress that, although it might not show like damage on your plant, creating wind in general, you're stressing the plant in a way that it has to make better roots. It has to make thicker stalks. If you grew a plant in a perfect environment, perfect temperature, you could potentially not quote need airflow. Like air is not a nutrient. Airflow is not a nutrient, right? That's a abiotic stress. It's something no, but that, to get the carbon, it needs the movement of the air away from the leaf. Brandon, you got, I mean, air is moving all the time though. In that yeah, way, the air has right. to get but I'm talking yeah. about propelling the air. You can exchange CO2 in a space without propelling air past the plant. So we're talking now about the speed at which you're going to propel the air, the amount no, of air no, that you're there, moving. There, there's actually a formulation that shows how much air movement is actually required for plants to be able to keep acquiring the CO2. Because if you're looking at the microclimate around the leaf surface area, um, 
it can get depleted of CO2 pretty quick. So if there's not enough movement, it's not going to be able to uh, uh, acquire anymore. So there's a minimum threshold then, like you need to have like, let's call it, I don't know, wind comes in knots. I don't know what it's actually like measured in a cannabis grow space. But they have little sensors that they're hanging around now. Uh, some lighting companies make them and other uh, environmental control things have them. So it's an interesting concept. I'm personally uh, going to be honest. I don't know the exact speeds and things that they're measuring. Um, but I just know from my personal experience, like your fans on, let's say like level one, two or three, if you did a grow like with the same cut with the fan on level one versus the fan on level two versus the fan on level three, you'd have like a little citizen science experiment in a way and see which one produced the best in your space, you know, because um, I personally think that's an under um, respected factor. I, when I go into a grow room and I feel a lot of air movement and I see the leaves like dancing and the plants are moving around a good bit, I feel like those plants tend to be a little bit healthier and stronger and can hold their own weight more than uh, if the air is barely just trickling over them and like every now and then like a oscillating fan hits them a little bit. I, I personally am just a fan of uh, high air movement. And I think that whether it's a stress or just a necessary evil, um, like I said, if, if the minimum thresholds here and then like the, this is going to stress your plant out over here, I want to be like just underneath that line personally. Cause I think that like Spartan was talking about some of those stresses, uh, like being pushed around. It, I think it forces the plant to create better roots like if you see these outdoor plants, they can survive some crazy windstorms. And I think that creates more terpenes and uh, flavonoids and cannabinoids and things that you might never ever see in an indoor grow space because when are you getting hundred mile an hour winds indoor? You know, it just doesn't happen. But sometimes outdoor in Northern California, some of these valleys, they get windstorms like that. And sometimes the plants will survive. It might be because they're trellised down or they have a huge root system and a thousand gallon pot, like some of these dudes grow in. But, um, it's definitely interesting. The factor is because this is like a, an art. We no one's really quite figured out. Like uh, you put these inputs in and you get these X amount of cannabinoids out quite yet. Uh, some people are getting close, but I think even then there's gonna be some outliers and new lighting technologies and new weather patterns and, and places that allow cannabis to express it in ways we maybe have never thought possible before. Yeah, I think a lot of what's happening with the wind is uh, like a like a mechano stimulation response. For- and I guess that can cause, like, I mean, you know, upfront stressors happen just with basic metabolism, right? So, like, those things can cause signals to occur. I'm being very basic and oversimplified here in cells, and that can stimulate through responses that do cause, like, things like, you know, oxidative stress and different hormones get upregulated and downregulated, and all kinds of other stuff happens. But at the end of the day, the result is, sometimes a stronger woodier stem or some sort of thing like this. And, um, you know, it's kind of like the butterfly that has to struggle to get out of the chrysalis and has to struggle to pump the hemolymph into their wings. And if they can't do that, if they don't do that through the struggling out of the chrysalis, uh, that doesn't happen. The wings don't unfurl uh, in some species anyways, and they die. So like in a way, like, Stress is a dirty word, um, but it's a lot more complicated than we give it credit to. I think there's also, you know, there's a lot of other ways to induce these same responses without having to, you know, physically like shock the plant. Because I think there's there's a line between. But is it, how do we know it's being shocked? 
you know, something that's been like, yeah, you know, something that's gone through a massive trauma versus, you know, a, something that it's, that's not going to inherently damage the overall production or quality of the plant. I wasn't suggesting hundred mile an hour winds, by the way. I, I just think it's an interesting uh, comparative note. I, I, I would say I, I like high wind, but if it's going to get to the point where you're starting to see like any damage, physical damage on the plant, that's where I would consider it to be too stressful. But in the cases where it's not like, what is that? I, I don't see a ton of science and data around this yet. I'm sure it will come, but I don't see um, sort of that being right. discussed. Like how, how hard should mm. we push the airflow? Um, I have a, I have a study save that um, yeah, there's... they attempt to mimic spider mite damage on cotyledons of a cat cotton plant by pricking it with a, a pin. I've seen and it. They call that it like be... mechanical abrasion. And uh. it's supposedly, would, you know, the, the experiment was would it wouldn't induce a SARS response or whatever kind of response. And uh, they said it did, but. I've tried it. It doesn't seem to be very effective in reality, <laughs> well, but who knows, you know? Well, it's like, uh, the that's funny because the physical damage will cause certain responses, but um, spider mites also suppress the immune response too. And they have a bunch of other stuff that you're not getting with a pinprick, like saliva that has the effects I just mentioned and even microbes and things like that that come along for the ride and have benefits for the mite. Uh, hey, but all the benefits the then and none of the drawbacks it sounds like the spider mites more apt to fuck up your plant and the the needle is going to cause maybe some of the feedback that systematic acquired resistance or whatever uh without having you know the uh modifying abilities that the spider mite has so maybe it's how you should keep it up keep keep poking it and uh <laughs> do it side by side if only it were that <laughs> simple yeah if it were right we do have some uh questions they might not be simple but I think I, I answered one of them. I, I speculated that it's white powdery mildew earlier to Husky, who says got white fuzz mold on some flowering buds, real cotton looking fibers. Um, but maybe Matthew, you could weigh in on that. I don't know if you saw that earlier. We kind of touched on it in the chat. I did see that. You know, it's hard without a picture. There's a bunch of things that come to mind. And I saw a lot of uh, erudite scholars in the chat giving examples of things like um, a sclerotinium, botrytis, powdery mildew, um, possibly even, I mean, there's some like cobweb fungi. I think we even talked about that. My buddies up in the high desert where um, they were growing and they, they had a small mold problem, despite the fact that they're growing out where it's like 10 to 10% humidity on a good day. Although it's actually uh, snowing quite a bit up there right now. Um, but uh, you know, it's uh, it could be a couple of different things. Like traditionally, I think I usually see botrytis a lot of times post-harvest um pre-harvest all of it is bad yeah, yeah right? none of it's certainly none of it's good yeah and so sclerotinium in particular can get kind of cottony on the like uh stems too so like it might not necessarily be the flower itself but try to associate with reproductive tissues in, in the majority of plants but make no mistake it's uh very devious it can um reside in other kinds of tissues for a long period of time with no symptoms and then as soon as the plant starts to flower, you know, it causes a, a, a change in its physiology and it, um, it elicits the necrotrophic part of its life cycle, which starts to eat up all the cells and destroy them and, and make them uh, self-destruct using their own um, system. It's pretty, uh, pretty gruesome. 
when you think about it. That sounds yeah. Cool. If we have a picture, it's I could some, totally look at it. In that farmer's pocket too. Definitely not fun to deal with. I had another thought on that, but I've totally lost it. So I'm thinking maybe we go on to Sergeant Bones' question about wettable sulfur transplanting from solo cups into SIP containers. If I drench completely, including the root ball, will that be detrimental when I inoculate micros on the roots? So I guess those are sort of, you're doing two different purposes, right? The one is you're trying to kind of knock down pests. This is like an IPM. And then the other thing would be, um, inoculating microbes i think you could do the microbes later personally i think uh, but it just depends on how you transplant i like to add mycorrhizal fungi on transplants um, but there's other things that people will inoculate with when they're transplanting but i'll pass it over to smart and it looks like you had something that you wanted to toss in there the only time i would i would dip my root ball in in sulfur would be if i was trying to kill something um with you know, either the pesticide or fungicidal aspects of it. And um, that's the only time I, I wouldn't do that one, like as a preventative, because I think you could come into some issues with uh, soil pH. You could come into some issues with some imbalances of uh, just really high sulfur, I would imagine, around your root zone. It's going to, I just think it's going to change the, the root zone pH. And I worry about that. Yeah, I do recommend I do recommend doing a dunk. Um, when you cut your clones, you should always dunk yeah. them before you stick them, and then before you transplant, you should also dunk them again. That's just standard procedure across the board for pest management protocol when you're taking clones. You're talking no about the top of the clone, though, not the actual root zone. You're dipping it upside down, just, holding the solar just, cup. Look, you can do whole dunks, but it depends on what you're using. Something like um, something like Pure Crop or something like Pyganic. Oh no, Pure Crop I wouldn't recommend uh, for roots. Uh, no, no, you can't. No, you can. You can do Pure Crop for roots. That's right. You can use it as a drench. You're just using small amounts. Um, Pyganic and uh, the Pure Crop work really, really well. If you want to do like a drench um, before and after, like a, you know, full dunk. But like Spartan said, unless you're having an issue with a root pest, like root aphids, I, I mean, typically you're not, you're not treating that because you're treating okay, he's soil on. You know, the system that that's going into, you're probably going to be inoculating with nematodes or Bouveria bossy. I was just going to, I was just going to get into that because he's just updated and said he just wants it as a preventative. And if you want to just preventative, skip the root dunk and yeah, do nematode SF, do uh, Bouveria bossy. Do you sell that on your site still, Brandon? Is that yeah, and dunk? check this out. So this is really, really cool. So, um, Starting in February, <clears throat> after this month, all of the prices for all the microbes are going to drop by like half because I worked out some stuff with my friend uh, who owns the, uh, their family owns the company that I source all my stuff from. So they're giving me better pricing. And so I'm going to be able to pass that on to all the customers, which is what I've been wanting to do. So you'll be able to buy you know, yes. spore vials for like 25 bucks as opposed to like 50. 
Damn. So and that's stuff, like even the, at 50 bucks, honestly, made a lot of like gallons and it was a good value. So I think that's uh, awesome to hear. Well, here's the thing, right? When it comes to these types of microbes, you know, one, like one of those vials can treat a hundred liters of water or 25 gallons, but I would much rather use one vial and treat 10 gallons, right? Because you can't go overboard with these things. Just double the concentration, microbes. yeah. And it's just like, you kick it up, dude. And it's just like one well, in 10 gallons, thing. you could spread a long ass way, especially if you're spraying it or watering it in. Yeah. I'm. It's like I said, you could use one vial and do the recommended amount, which is 25 gallons and still have good efficacy. But I mean, if you double that, it's like even better. You know, I like that because when I, I take uh ipm real seriously and i and i always look at that as going to be one of the the costs of cultivation right just like my electricity and rent right those are it's one of the major costs because if i don't take all those preventative measures continually you you have an issue dude and i can't it's just like paying for it's just like paying for car insurance and paying for house insurance it's just paying for crop insurance that's what it is pay me now or pay me later you know you could pay for uh consistent crops to be harvested or you can pay to lose a crop at one point when you might literally be ruined by it well here's a very real world example for me personally we get bonus on one we get a small bonus if the crop passes all testing then we get that we have up to three tier different bonuses. And if I get all three tiers on the bonuses, I get basically a double paycheck for that week. So it's very lucrative for me to give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, it's, it's a great system to, to make your employees give a shit too. And I mean, if you, if your actions are going to are costing everybody around you money, it's not going to happen very often. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to say it's not going to happen a lot. And as a team, if you guys can work together and, and get that double paycheck every couple, every harvest, you know what I mean? Every couple of weeks for us is our harvest. That's amazing. And it builds pretty good uh, camaraderie and it makes everybody care and you're rewarded for caring. Well, 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 you're saying if you incentivize good behavior, it happens more often. Wow. Yes. That's a, wow. That's Amazing. I wish more people I would learn that. about that. that. <laughs> That's why I say Please. it, man. That's why I bring it up. I know we have an audience and I want to get it out there because you don't see it anywhere else. And that's that's you why know. I'm a lot of people ask me. I've been offered head grower positions at multiple different facilities here in Michigan. I mean, I I know of several that I could just walk into right now and, and have a job, but I continue to work where I'm working at now because I'm still learning. And uh I love it. It's fun and it's close to my where I live too. So yeah. it kind of checks all the boxes. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any danger of me walking out of there anytime soon. I was That's telling a, win -win. a client about that actually uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, where I was, they were afraid that they had gotten um, a pest and that one of the, um, one of their workers who also grows had uh, contracted that pest from the facility or perhaps the reverse happened. They're not totally oh, sure. And um, I was telling them about how one of the, you know, when we're looking for out-of-the-box solutions, I mentioned that one of the things that they could do is they could buy biocontrols and other sorts of, not everything, of course, some lots of things are commercially regulated, so they can't use it at home. But in the other, there's also situations where we can use it at home, you cannot use in commercial, right? So depends, but... Uh, well, like were, at our work, we often have extra. For some reason, the cucumers exactly. from Culpert 
the Kukumaris come in 500 per box instead of 100 per box. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a huge, it's huge difference. Well, we often have those left over. And instead of throwing them in the trash or whatever, he's like, you know, our boss is like, take these home guys and put them in your garden too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's that. That's actually really good for biosecurity purposes too, because if they know that you have – uh, if you're keeping up on your IPM, that you're not going to spread something potentially to their facility. Definitely less likely. That's for sure. We have one final question before I want to kick the link out to the uh, chat to see who will jump in as the first guest of 2022. But um, the Jeffro 42069 says, what about cleaning slash sanitizing clone domes and black plastic trays? Is H2O2 in a water bath good enough? No. My first thing is going to say. Not by itself. My first thing that I have to say on this particular subject, because I say it often, how much does it cost you for a clone dome? Because <laughs> generally you're going to spend more money on clean material than you're going to spend on a clone dome. That's the real, that's the real response is be, you know, look at the logistics of the situation. Um, like the environment, it's plastic. That's true. Upcycling things is important. I well, agree and it's that. cheap too. Ultimately, mm-hmm. if you can get a good sterilant, like a, I don't know what you want to use, bleach or uh, zero tall. What, what do you recommend, Matthew, to clean one of those if you had to? Well, um, hydroperoxide, they all work good. Bleach is fine. All that stuff works. Because of hot plate and viroid being so prevalent lately, uh, I want to introduce people to, you know, there are people who use like a, for other viroids too for that matter, a 10% bleach solution is very common to use. And a lot of people are like, well, we'll bleach, but I mean, sometimes dire situations require it. And if you're safe with it, you know, it can, can't, isn't too bad. But another thing is uh, there are other products out there like uh, Vercon S, which is a little bit corrosive, but you can apply it. And uh, actually I shared on my viroid video, my intro to viroids video on my YouTube channel. Um, I talked about uh, a paper that, had like 10 examples of um, they tested 10 different products for viroids and they had various effects. So one of them though was uh, milk, believe it or not, which, um, you know, people talk about spraying milk for a powdery mildew. I've had people have that work for them and I've had people report that it was uh, very bad for their plants afterwards. Um, and I, don't, I think that's a operator error potentially, but um, regardless, I don't find that to be super effective in my case for a lot of things, I, but uh, it was very interesting to see that that worked really well for the viroids, actually. Uh, right next to Vercon S, and um, I mean, it wasn't as good as it, but uh, yeah, so check out my video on that. I don't know where it is in the video, but you can scan through. Um, I talk about treatments in that video, and uh, I think that's a super important thing for people to be aware of. Um, Matthew, and- what do you suspect the mode of action was there? Was it just a lactobacillus or what? For the milk? For the milk, yeah. For you know, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I don't really know. Um, I I think that they also speculated a little bit in, and I think I might have actually quoted what they had said, which wasn't, if I remember right, anything very specific. Um, perhaps <laughs> I don't really, I really don't know. I don't think it was raw milk either. I was just curious. That's the only yeah. thing I can think of off the top of my head. Well, yeah. Well, it, viroids can sometimes get into cyanobacteria and pathogenic fungi and that could be a transmission vector um which is scary 
<laughs> and we talked always, about it later on. You're always doing that to me, man. You're always you know, me. you know, you. I'm always doing it. But you know, I remember a year ago, we, you and I were talking about the potentiality for. You asked me uh, two weeks ago about, or one week ago about, uh, whether predatory mites could um, mechanically transmit hoplite and viroid. Nice that I didn't know, but I do remember we had discussed this like a while ago before that even, and uh, I think that's a really interesting you know, potentiality. I, I really don't think that that's happening. I don't want to be biased, but, um, it's making mites like... even more annoying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what about like silver leaf white fly? I, from one of your videos, I reckon, remember that it can't that transfer like hundreds of different viruses, viroids and plant pathogens. Over Probably 480, over 480 and broad mites. Yeah. Over 480 viruses are vectored by the silver leaf white fly. I, yeah. I just feel like it's got to be hoplite and viroid can't be uh too maybe it'll be 481 by next year we'll find out i guess so that's anyways i don't <laughs> isn't it, it is actually kind of fascinating anyways horrifying at the same time yeah that's amazing that they can have that many viroids in them it's, i mean I'm, i know they're not carrying all 480 at the same time but oh no no <laughs> but, the, but still the, to be able to be like a mess or a messenger or or carrier a vector. Of a, a vector yeah but it doesn't affect them in any way you know some do uh seem to affect them one of them tomato yellow something virus will virus uh it i think we've talked about it on the show it actually damages its brain its neural pathway so that it doesn't have a preference for yellow color because yellow color is often a signal of problems in the plant either it's dying because it's senescing or it's under some sort of a nutrient stress or you know, biotic stress, whatever. It, it's like, oh, this will be great. Um, but you get rid of that preference and suddenly the virus is more likely to go to a green plant as well as, or a yellow plant. And so that means it's more likely to colonize a new host. So that's kind of terrifying that it literally damages the brain of the vector to have fitness effects for the virus. And other viruses can uh, seem to be able to um, attach or in some way, like there's a, there's a couple of proteins in its gut and uh, a bunch, apparently a bunch of viruses, mostly geminoviruses, can um, do that. So Damn. very, very complicated, very interesting. It's always interesting to learn more about it and uh, how they can transfer from one plant to another. And, uh, you know, some are cross species and some don't, but I'm always trying to be enlightened to uh, the stuff that's available. We got Oki Grower who's about to jump in. So I wanted oh, to admit nice. them and uh, they'll be here in probably like 10 or 20 seconds. It takes a little while for zoom to allow them to jump in, but that's a name that I recognize. My one rule with the zoom is that I have to recognize the name. I'm frozen. I've met this person in person. Does my end. sound sound better today, by the way, I've got a new arm for my microphone. So it's like right in my face. It does sound good to me. Oh, Cheers, Lucky. Oh, hey, here I'm putting on my video now. But this, there's the video. All right. Oh, we got what a garden spotlight. All right, all right, all right. So this is a Siberian Gorilla Mac from Guardian of Lost Herps. Oh yeah, half of that's the genetics that I made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look that thing's at the got some spears. open structure on this thing. Yeah. Like we're 
we're going into week six, and it's not putting on much chunk at all. Real airy. That's that Ruderalis in it. That's what I was thinking. Well, this is actually – there's two plants in here. One of them outgrew the other one. This is the other pheno. It's a little more compact. The more airy ones, I, I tend to know notice dump a bunch of hash. I feel like because it is coated all the way around yeah, the outside. That's, that's what I was thinking because it's pretty frosty. I don't know how well that's coming up. It definitely looks frosty to me. I can see it on that lower nug for sure. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of a blue dream structure in a way, or like the hazier sativas that kind of get those long, like fingery. Uh, it almost yeah. looks like a genetic foxtail, but that's just, I don't think that's like a heat stress or light stress thing. That's just how it genetically grows because it's doing yeah, that. All the way that variety, it's like that, that all the way grows. down. Does, yep. um, does it have a lemon uh, profile? Hmm. Yeah, like lemon and gas. That's what I'm getting off it, really. That's like my one of my favorite combos. I feel like OG Kush falls in that range, and it's just like it works so well together. Let yeah. me guess. And I had this other bag seed down here that got overgrown too. It's in a little three gallon. I overwatered the hell out of it and messed her up pretty good. She's buried underneath this one that stretched six times what everything else did. Yeah, it's crazy I mean, when they do that. It, cannabis will, like I was talking about earlier, you think you got to figure it out, and then she'll throw you a curveball like a six-act stretcher when you're expecting two to three yeah. at most. Was not expecting. Yeah, I really overwatered that. It's in a three-gallon pot, and I got these two in one of those city pickers. Oh, that's what it is, man. Once they get that right perfect there. watering, they just start, yeah. they take off like crazy. The earth boxes and city pickers, I swear, they grow so fast and strong. It's just like they're perfectly watered the whole time. They have plenty of soil. I is love that this. A little group? I love Groot. <laughs> I love those city pickers because they're almost square and they fit. You can get fit four perfectly in a four by four, and it fills almost the whole four by four with soil. And that's what I want. I want the whole block. Yeah. Yeah, I figured I'd just hop on here, show you guys how it's going. Thanks for sharing, man. It's fucking awesome. It's, it's interesting it. as shit. That is like going to be something like, oh, no, I mean, it's going to be like some sativa like shit, hopefully. Like some soaring You're going to have to let it go at least 10 weeks, probably pushing more like 11, 12. By looking yeah, at that's what I'm thinking. I'm probably going to have to cut There's some more of that other pheno down in here. The thing is, cut that even one the trim, <laughs> I bet you there's yeah. going to be tons of trim, and I bet you'll, you'll get lots of hash out of this run and uh, plenty of good buds of smoke. So. Oh, yeah. Trim tray hash out of that's going to be fucking fire. Oh. <laughs> you just reminded me I've got a full trim tray. I haven't been dipping Dude, into it. i got a little jar right here. I've been smoking on since Christmas. It's fucking amazing. It's oh, like, yeah. I started using... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I started... Started using that uh the carbon based fertilizer that Brandon got. I got from Brandon. Yeah. The the uh, that's working really good. The uh, yeah, it's a few different ones. Which one in particular yeah, uh, are you rocking? I I got the complex and then the uh what the K humate. Yeah, they do look nice and green. Yeah. <laughs> 
they're definitely not hungry and they uh, definitely look like they're going to keep on charging forward for another few weeks developing. Yeah. They're stacked as hell, man. <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of buds. Yeah, there's a lot in here. My little big got, here. That, that, um, that rushing, I grew out that the all the pure ones and they all were like that. They have that really, really airy, um, bud structure. Yeah. It also offers almost like just like the high. I added like the gorilla glue to try to give it some better uh co- like frost coverage. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't changing I didn't change much in that in the whole dynamic. The uh the the ruderalis and from the Russian just really over dominates everything, but it fucking they get huge because they were auto flowers and i hit it with the gorilla glue right and it was an auto flower and so they fucking just they go all over the place like train wreck yeah i flipped this on the walls man yeah i flipped it when it was down here on the first trellis that thing shot up i mean that's that's four foot higher than the trellis is (laughs) the first trellis (laughs) that's nice Three yeah, foot higher be. than the second trellis. <laughs> That's something you should be yeah, going just, outside. <laughs> yeah. We just got a new addition. Our our second guest of 2022, Sacred Garden, just joined. I don't know if you're gonna show off the garden or just got some questions. Come to say hello, but cheers, Sacred Garden. Welcome. Hello. Yeah, we can hear you now. Cheers. Oh, what's up, guys? Hey, Merry, uh, Happy New Year. I hope you had a very blessed holy days. And uh, I don't know if you celebrate Christmas or not, but if you do, Merry Christmas and uh, God bless you all. I appreciate you all. Honestly, I love hearing the knowledge, the wisdom. Likewise, brother, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, same to you. We're honestly uh, happy to come here each week. I know just hanging out with each other is probably enough to get us each coming back but having the chat is like a whole additional layer you guys give us topics you ask great questions uh sometimes show off your gardens and uh come on and give us some praise and keep us going so i mean we really appreciate that man thank you uh secret garden cheers to you and thank you for coming on do you have any questions or do you want to show off any uh garden stuff grow uh event i'm trying to plan one in vegas next year at some time i think that'd be the spot it's cheap to fly to it's central it's got legal weed Tell, so, me when. Tell me when I'll be there. I'll try to be I'm there. trying to make it happen for real. I'm putting it out there. All right. Don't, don't make it on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. No Wednesdays. You heard it here first. Those are harvest days for me. So. We also I mean, got Dog Doctor jumping in, but uh, I wanted to let you keep going there, Sacred. I mean, I'll show mine. I'm really nervous right now. Uh, I look up to you guys. I mean, I, I listen to you guys every week. And if I could idolize humans, it would be you guys. I only idolize my God, which is Jesus. And uh, but you guys are the second best thing. You know, you guys are providing real medicine. Hey, you see it right, though. We are just human, man. And we were all where you were at at some point. We were all coming on the show first. Uh, a guy named Shane started this. and He invited us all. For most of us, it was this was our first show. Some of us it wasn't. It was, but it, was it got a lot of us out and talking about cannabis. So we know that nervousness, but 
this is a cool ass community. It's like the same hundred to 150 to 200 people that come live every single week. So you got nothing to worry about. It's just a bunch of homies here that are all here to yeah. support you and, and show you. Nothing I am but love. part Anunnaki though. I must confess. So there's that. Hey, no worries. It's all good. <laughs> no, but thanks for coming up. Let's see. How do you, uh, if it's at the top left, um, top left of your screen, little yeah. There you go. All righty. So this is uh. Let me start from the beginning. I started with Mandala Genetics, and I started with Safari Mix, which consists of uh, white satin and Kali Chakra. So, I found two that I liked and I crossed them and I made chakra lifter or no, 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 that's wrong. I, I found. So what I did, it was, it was Kali chakra times lifter CBD. And I made chakra lifter. This is a male. This right here is a uh, hash berry by Mandala. So I want to make something between these two. And then this is alien OG by, uh, Damn, I can't even remember my genetics. I'm sorry. It's all good. Are any of those autos? I, I think Mandala is an auto producer. I could be wrong, though. No, Mandala is just a land race. It's an Indian land race. And uh, so <clears throat> what I started with was Hashberry, and that's the hate Ashberry from uh, California. There's, I think that's like the Grateful Dead. I'm not really sure about it. Hey, Ashbury is a street in uh, San, San Francisco where a lot of like the social movements and stuff have happened. There's a lot of cannabis up there too. Uh, but yeah, the that, Ashbury is fire. That's, that's her right there. This is the male uh, chakra lifter. That's alien OG. That's alien OG number one. This is alien OG number two. I tried to go with her. She's a watermelon and uh, she's amazing. So I re-vegged her. And she's got the ones where after two weeks, she starts to uh, herm at the bottom. But I kept her because of the way she smells is like, is beautiful. But this is uh, Alien OG number two. That's my mango plant. And then that's my pineapple. And then right here is uh, Sir Jack by Lifter. So I call it Jack Lifter. And Sir Jack is a F1 of uh, Jack Herrera that they reintroduced through exotic genetics nice. and uh yeah i don't i'm not like too well well versed on all this but uh i just i research the genetics and i find what i like and what makes me feel good and i and well, i want to keep like it you got a lot yeah. of good uplifting stuff is what it sounds like you picked thank you yeah some cbd and some sativas I, i'm a huge fan of jack Herrera, the high the smell the, the effect it's just a uh, beautiful, I'm, I'm glad that you've got at least some crosses of that. And you're like myself uh, growing in the closet. I think uh, I like to joke that we're taking over the cannabis world one closet at a time, teaching people to grow their own and empowering them yes. and, and doing stuff like this. It's honestly, it's uh, amazing what people are able to, the medicine that they can produce for themselves, the knowledge they're able to take in and uh, the community that they're able to be a part of just by growing. I was going to say the one looked like it was flowering, but you, you kind of mentioned that it's uh, re-vegging. Sometimes I just saw, um, a breeder who kind yeah. of commented somebody had a few of their strains herm. They said sometimes if they cleaned up the lowers or it was a little less stressed, maybe it wouldn't herm. So if you do keep it around, maybe it, uh, it won't herm in the future if uh, it just gets a little bit, a few, a few more things dialed in. But 
it definitely sounds like it's got some of the smells that you're looking for. And I'm glad that you were able to fight through that. Cause I know some people just like panic chop and get rid of it and uh, throw it all out. If there's any uh, sign of nanners and I understand that as well, but uh, sometimes it's worth fighting for. I'll say that. So, so just one question. Um, I got to wait for those to become more than the one leaves when they start showing actual like three leaves before I clone her. Right. Yeah. And then those yeah. clones should take off and grow as a normal plant. And yeah, just another general tip. Um, this is from Eagle Gardens in the past. He revegs a lot of stuff late in flower like that. He said it's a lot easier for him, at least if he just takes like you see how there's like six or seven, maybe 10 colas on there still. Instead mm-hmm. of leaving the whole entire plant like that, um, you could just take cuts. And as they're rooting, they'll start to the reveg process and he'll put keep them under 24 hours. And because they're in a smaller cup, they're just easier to keep watered properly. Because once you've chopped off a lot of the plant when you harvest or when you go to reveg, sometimes it's just uh, hard to maintain that watering the same. But it looks like you've got them. I mean, once they start showing one leaf, it's only a matter of time. And so they start showing three leaves and basically growing out a healthy branch that you can take a cut off of and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid to cut her and try to clone her again because these are like, they're old. You know what I mean? I don't want to put stress on her. I'll just wait for these to, to do their thing. Especially now, yeah. since you've, you've gotten this far, I definitely agree. You should uh, see that process through to the end. And uh, I, I believe that it's going to work out for you. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate you all, man. God bless you all. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you. Hey, same to you. And thank you so much for joining. I want to say uh, welcome to Dog Doctor. Cheers, buddy. Thank Hi, you. Guys. Hey. I just want to say one thing. I would do both. If you, if you want to save the next plant, take cuts of it with buds and save the plant for reveg just in case and if the cuts take root then you can kill it off or if the cuts don't take root you got a second shot so well, she's the she's no, the queen perfect. she's most she's gonna she's gonna stay all the way she's the queen i love right, it when you got that right, feeling man future. yeah all right god bless you guys good night you, got, you too sacred have a good night dude hey thank you so much for showing off the garden and thank you for joining us thank you thank you so, uh, Dog Doctor, cheers. Welcome. How you doing, buddy? Hi, brothers, everybody. Happy New Year to you all. How's you everybody doing? doing? Doing well. What you talking on over there? What am I? What? Sorry? What you smoking on? Some uh, hush. This is from the gelato. Good stuff. I feel like it's uh, you're a day ahead of us over there, aren't you? It's already the third. Where you at? Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, uh, it's almost three o'clock in the morning here. Living you know in the future. Me? Exactly. Living in the future. How's the it garden doing? For, I can show you. That's we always it. love the garden updates. You've been giving us, uh, you're one of the most consistent guests whenever we pop that link out and you've showed off the garden enough times that now I think the people will, they can go back and look at the past few episodes whenever we've had guests on and they'll be able to see the progress from uh, where we last saw it. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's really a pleasure and an honor. So let's start with the live topping. <laughs> I get after that I, I end up giving them a week, maybe two weeks more to fill up the space. So they are now on week two flowering. I defoliate them yesterday. They're actually pretty happy. I didn't look at them yesterday. They look pretty happy. Yeah, they're good. They're filling out that space for sure. You definitely flipped uh, around the right time. I think you're going to have a pretty full canopy and not too much uh, bottom of the tent showing. That's what I always try to go for. I don't want to basically be able to see any 
naked tent. I like the color on that. It's funny, like it, the the color correction on the camera for like a second when you're up top, it almost looks like it's yellow. But then when it recorrects, you can see they're actually nice and green. I put it like this. That's just new. It's all new green. They actually pretty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When the light just comes on, they're still waiting to photosynthesize that new growth. I believe this will fill up all through pretty good. I cleaned it all yesterday down all of Italy. I left seven uh, brands in, in each one of them. I took a clone of one of each and I will see which one is the one I like the most. So far, they are all growing pretty nice and pretty equal. So we will see which one smokes the best. So which one will keep up going. That's uh, always my ultimate decider is the uh, what smokes the best, right? I mean... Doesn't matter how it grows or smells when it comes are you to hand watering in there. Yes, I'm hand watering everything. These ones are um, the ones that I use the the all-in-one pallets. Oh, so okay. I'm I'm pretty much just giving them water and the enzymes and the, some microbes and stuff like this. Actually, now that it's, they are flying, I'm supplementing extra pee. Yeah, but that that's it for now. That's it. I will give them uh, probably K around the uh, week uh, three, maybe something like this. I will start with the K, and uh, after maybe a week, I will leave the P and go on with the K just. But for now, they seem happy with whatever the all-in-one pallets is giving them. Yeah, that's good. In here, it's almost done. They are getting heavy, so I had to. Oh, but it's smelling good in there. Yeah, man, this one's actually smelling a lot. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like a lot. I don't know if you guys can it's see good, it. Yeah. It's yes, looking good. Yeah, they're stacking up, looking frosty. Getting light and flower with the nice orange uh, stigmas and pistol. Yeah, I believe I'm gonna have like maybe once one week, maybe more here. Not yeah, much more. Yeah, let's say you go another week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I check them with the that little camera. I check uh -huh. the tricoms. For now, there's no hammer on any of them. Or okay. maybe on this these corners over here, but this is from touching and stuff like this. But in in there, there's no no hammer still. I like Once that you I acknowledge that. that it's from the bumping. A lot of people don't realize they like bump into a certain branch or touch a certain bud, and then the ambering is coming from them knocking it around. It's the oxidization from getting kind of beat up. Um, it's about looking at the general like you're doing, seeing that most of it's not actually amber. It's just from that spot that's touching up against the wall. So good, no, good on you for uh, noticing that. Thank yeah, you very good much. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is just taking water right now. I'm not taking any enzymes or anything, just plain water. Actually, all of the gardens, apart from the that one, the first one is taking just water. Moving to this corner over here. I'm sorry. Crushing it, man. You got a lot going on. Love it. It's, oh, that's the color correction. I don't know if this is going. In here, we can see different colors already. Like, this is almost finishing also. Oh, man. I got some big colors. I'll be trying to top that one more next time. <laughs> yeah, that one's a donk. Oh, yeah. But still a lot of white, white hairs. Yeah, I see that. 
Yeah, it doesn't so, want to quit, does it? What no, are you, are you running 12-12 lighting? Actually, they are doing uh, 11, 11 hours, 11, uh, 13 now. For, I was going to say, that, that's one of my tricks to get the white hairs to start turning red. If they don't, late in flower, I'll go down to that. I, I run 11-13 all the time, so maybe even 10 and a half. Uh, yeah, it's a 10 and a half. It's just, these ones are still on 11, but I'm going to give them 10 or 9 maybe because they, they're all still popping. Look at this. And yeah. they, they're pretty close to done. And that late in flower, they don't need a ton of light, to be honest. So you could even, like, I've dimmed it later in flower or uh, just give them, yeah. like, an hour less of light. Yeah, I dimmed it all to 80. It's funny, so, I was watching those FOS claims. A lot of people got up in arms a while back. They were claiming, like, six or seven pounds of light, but the light that they were testing was, like, a 1,500-watt light. So it was, uh, I guess, less of a ridiculous claim. Sorry to bring up something so random, but... They, uh, they, <laughs> yeah, they dialed it up. What made me thought of it, think of that was they didn't even run it at 100%. They only got to like a max, I think like 87% on the run that they hit seven pounds per 1500 watt. Dude, those guys are sending me six of their Scorpio lights. Scorpio. Uh, I'm stoked. I'm going to, I'm going to have. Uh, what are the, do you know what, like this, like the specs or anything? Is it like a, what, like how many Watts is this light? I think it's a thousand watt light. Holy shit! Okay, that's gonna be fucking serious. That's LED, dude. They have Jesus. a fifteen hundred watt unit, Spartan. Their their stuff's a different. They're they're taking a different approach. They're definitely going more at the commercial producer. I don't even think that they had them for sale to individuals unless you reach directly out to them. And then they have like a smaller, like six hundred watt light. But they may have smaller stuff now. But they have a six hundred watt light that you can buy at like Rogen. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, they should. They're doing the like one, greenhouse like trust lights too. Yeah, so it, it'll be interesting because also I have the EST tech, which thus far, I can't say anything because I haven't gone through a run with it, but um, I don't know. I don't know if those are going to be like, they don't seem as bright as they should be, you know. Not a good uh, initial impression, but we got uh, Bob R. I don't know if I want to say your full name. I don't know if that's a stage name or a real last name, but I'll give I'm you a really sad to see it. Anonymity. <laughs> oh, it does it show it when it's on the bottom? Yeah, it's well, not his you, name. you put it up there. Sorry, Bob. Uh, cheers <laughs> to you. What, what do you got going on in your garden? Hey, can you hear me? Yep. yep. Oh, it's Sergeant Bone. That's just my. Uh, I had to oh, join. Okay, I'm on cool. my phone. So I had okay, to join. I'll switch it over. No worries. Yeah, I just got a couple little girls started here. It's nothing major in the bunker here. Nice. Uh, They're looking happy, these, though. Yeah. These two are UK cheese. These are both from uh, CSI Humboldt. And these are the Purple D, which is uh, uh, Chem D crossed a Purple Urkel. Two of my favorite strains. So I'm really looking forward to these. You can see, I don't know if you can see the roots. That's exactly how I do it. Clear cup inside the red cup. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. the UK cheese is a, is a couple of weeks ahead of the rest. It's really getting root bound. Nice. Yeah, yeah. She's ready to be popped out of that yeah. for sure. And they're going right over here across the way. These are my four, uh, my four city pickers. And you can see they fit just perfectly in this room. That's why I picked them. It's a... Uh, this is brand new soil I got mixed up here. This is a, a cross. It's 50%. Um, that's Stonington blend, Coast of Maine. 
and 50% uh, build a soil 3.0. I, I blended the two together. Nice. Okay. And added uh, some biochar, some insect frass, and uh, rice rice holes. A little added uh, aeration. Did you just do it? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, my, it's going to be my throw them in there, baby. It's going to be my first run, and I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, nice! You're going to love that. And those subcontainers make it easy to water your plants, man. It makes it real easy. It takes the the guesswork out. I'm running out of battery here. I got to plug in. But yeah, yeah, I can't wait for it. That's uh, especially the new genetics too. I, I couldn't be more happy with the earth box. I mean, we still I'm sure the city picker does the same thing. The, the yeah, sips in general. It's just phenomenal Spartan, how easy it makes Spartan it. Might like this here. It's, Oh, it's you got your urban worm bin, huh? Yeah. That's cool with the little uh, stack right there. you got kind of hung Let up. Let the Games begin. I love it. Only thing I got issues with is I got all these little, little bitty, I know I shouldn't worry about them, but there's little bugs all over in here. You probably can't see them. They're little white They're bugs like, or little mold mites or? Looks kind of like it. They're moving kind of quick. Those hypoaspis miles, maybe I couldn't really see well, but I mean, it looked like there was quite a bit in there. My battery's running out. So, the most common mistake is overfeeding the worm bin. Um, try to give it just like about an inch, inch and a half worth of food across the surface of it, and then don't feed it again until that's all consumed, and then give it another inch kind of a thing. Try it that way, and that should clear up a lot of um bug populations, things like that, because as that debris gets consumed or broken down, those there's no hiding places. Speaking of bugs, we had a question from Carl Malone earlier. I feel bad that we skipped it. Um, and I, I even had a few answers of my own, but I would pass it to Matthew Gates first. They say, how should I attack fungus gnats in the root zone? I think I, uh, I answered that by saying that you could apply like a botanical insecticide. Um, uh, there are pyrethrin products and azadirachtin products that would be great to use. I know that in commercial settings in different places, uh, pyrethrin products are either totally not allowed or they're not allowed if they don't, if they have an enhancer like piperinol butoxide. Personally, yeah. I would try to get a product that doesn't have PBO. Um, yeah, you don't want that. Exactly. You don't want that in the in the product. Is that a pyrethroid or something different? No, it's no, an enhancer. Yeah. Oh, enhancer. But, okay. but it's toxic. That's right. So one of the things I've recommended in the past to people, and I've saw on Google, they claim uh, BTI, the Bacillus uh, Theringiensis Israelensis. Um, no, uh, the the Kerstaki is the one. So you'd use uh, BTK. Yeah, BTK, BTK is one for, for fungus gnats. Because when I Googled BTI, it's called, uh, it usually it's mosquito cabbage. dunks or mosquito bits. And yeah, it's marketed BTI. at mosquitoes, but fungus gnats are a earlier version of a mosquito. Maybe I'm wrong on that, Matthew, but that's what I found in my limited fungus research. Gnats, fungus gnats are um, part of a group called Sciaridae, and they're like with shore flies and other sorts of uh, flies like these. But uh, my understanding is it's the Israeliensis that goes for the flies, um, specifically like the dipterans, the flies, and Kristaki is for Lepidoptera. 
and uh, caterpillars and that kind of a thing. Oh, maybe I had it mixed up. It's hard because there's other ones too. Despite uh, uh, aside from Israeliensis and Christaki, there's also um, Nematodes. You guys don't like nematodes for that? Nematodes yeah. are great. Nematodes are another great, great option thing. too. I, I love them. I wanted to just highlight this. Um, if you Google, does BTI kill fungus gnats? It says fungus gnats are closely related to mosquitoes. So fungus gnat larvae are effectively killed by BTI. BTI is a naturally occurring bacterium, deadly to mosquito and larvae. So, so that, that was just the thing that I was- So that targets the larva then in the soil. Presumably it could also help uh, hurt the adults maybe, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to hit the larvae because they're in the soil and uh, they're less mobile in that way. Typical, the main thing but... I didn't mention is they're pretty much- Always, if you uh, take care of the root of the problem, um, which is typically it's too moist in the root zone or, or for too long, keep, keeping a little bit better airflow and then maybe um, just monitoring your watering habits very closely to make sure that you're not overwatering. Because that's when I tend to notice people getting fungus gnats is when it's overly damp for too long of a period of time. So and there's a lot of organic airflow. matter too. I see it and I, and I especially see high populations and explosions when people apply kelp meal. You were saying that it, it, when you like walk down the beach, it kind of makes sense when you see some of the sea stuff and it's being like swarmed by flies, but it's a completely different fly. I guess Matthew's informed me in the past, but interesting. Yeah, but they, they kind of go after similar sorts of things like decaying. Yeah, that's why that's why like, uh, well, they're called shore flies because they're found on, uh, you know, near beaches and coastal areas, but also they're found in uh, artificially moist, you know, places with lots of plant matter, water and decaying plant matter, like a greenhouse or a or a hydroponic system or something like that. So, and you're right, just like mosquitoes and, um, and that they're all part of that fly order. Well, I did realize. I just, and Spartan, I just wanted to bring up one thing because I got to get it going anyway, but um, it was somebody in chat said that the mosquito bits don't work by themselves. They may not. And that's why, you know, you want to do a, you know, a multifaceted approach. I think my buddy Matthew would say, and um you know, that we just said that that would target the larva in the soil. Well, there's other things, you know, the nematodes also can help target those in the soil. And then you can use yellow sticky traps to target the adults to That's get right. them. And um, right. do all these things in conjunction with each other. And each one of them is going to take out a large population, eventually solve your problem, hopefully. But like Jack said, you got to target the what caused this and how do we stop it? Because that's really otherwise you're going to be fighting that same problem forever. Anyways, I got to get out, get out of here, guys. I'm Spartan Grown. You can catch me on uh, Instagram at Spartan Grown or at the Michigan Bros Grow Show. I'll be there in about 10 minutes. So, <laughs> less time than normal. I, I was having so much fun. I lost track of time seeing everybody's gardens. It's just, yeah, uh, me I, too, got, I get lost in it. <laughs> me too. So Peace out. Thanks again, Spartan Love y'all. Grows love, love you, Dr. MJ and everybody else. And don't forget, fuck the MCMA. Fuck yes. the MCMA, everybody. Fight for your rights. If you're a home grower, you should definitely stand up for your rights and be aware of the lobbying efforts. Uh, like the reason he says that for anybody unaware, the MCMA is lobbying against cannabis uh, caregivers and home growers, right? So it's not just a silly phrase. It's actually a practical political stance that he's pub publicly making and, and standing behind and going and supporting. So I acknowledge Spartan and uh, all of his efforts that he's making in Michigan. I think that they've actually put it on sort of the national. Um, I, I saw them talking about it on Dude Grow Show, like I, I've mentioned a few times, the in-house genetics interview. He brought that up and how it has impacted his business. And he's a 
you know, multi-state operator and a big genetics producer. So it's become a, a national talking point in the cannabis community. And I think that there are people that are going to be scared uh, moving forward. These other lobbying efforts, they're going to try and be unnamed and unknown and, and hiding in the shadows because as soon as we find out who they are and expose them, uh, it's very bad for business. So I'm happy that the community is able to stand up against them and people like metric who come in and try to take money out of the state and put it in their own pocket. So big props to Spartan. Um, Brandon, you're showing off some stuff in your garden. I'm going to spotlight you. Um, what are we looking at over here? Oh, we lost your... plants. I'm apparently pretty good at growing peppers also. <laughs> Those look beautiful. Oh, yeah. I got to grow something. I have this extra light and I have this basement that, you know, it doesn't ever freeze down here. It's like stays pretty consistent temperature. And so, uh, Got Are those jalapenos? No, I think they're uh, hatch chilies, like an okay. Anaheim type of chili. They look so beautiful. they're a mild chili. Uh, but yeah, there's tons of them in here. I've been using the carbon-based fertilizer. I haven't been top dressing or testing with these ones. I just added the carbon-based fertilizer for these since same old soil or no, i shouldn't call it old soil but the same uh soil recipes that you're using for the other stuff yeah it was a recycled soil was used already and i just threw it in there and i um just threw it in some pots it was extra and i was like well hey i have these pepper plants and i have some extra soil and a pot and everything and i have an extra light so i just figured hey i'm just gonna stick it in my basement it's like yeah they look beautiful Oh yeah, we've we've only got like a few minutes left, but I just see uh, MMA V Rick. I'm probably mispronouncing that name. Just joined us, but it's a name I recognize from the chat. So cheers to you, welcome in. Uh, do you have any questions? We want to show off the garden in uh, the last couple minutes before we get heading out. Hey, what's going on, guys? You can flip on the time, camera uh, around, or if you want to show off yeah. your face, that's totally cool. I'll. Uh, oh no, no no no! I'm sure you guys want to see this. <laughs> Some people are like, up, uh, it shows your face first, and hey. then they get worried because. They're trying there, to we go. there we go. Get a mask, Not buddy. Yet. Get a well, mask. Well, hey, I wanted to say uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Long-time listener ever since the uh, Jane days. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm always following you guys every single week. But a uh, little good. garden update here. Um, these are actually from the American one. A little proprietary blueberry. Coming along hey. nice. Yeah, nice. right? That's from you, bro. So I appreciate Excellent. all the gear. Yeah, I got some Amy Aces still waiting on the pack, but uh, very excited to pop those. Um, this is just a set of moms from hunts that I've gone through. This is um, Pecan on Five Haze from AK Bean Brains. Um, another AK Bean Brains. This is Americana and Black Domina. Um, Guardian of the Lost Turks. This is a Banana Crasher Double Purple Hulk. And then uh, this is root beer, GMO root beer from uh, Skunk Tech, Mean Gene from Mendocino. Damn, sounds like some good keepers. Yeah, yeah dude. Hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, this is this is the basement. I don't know if you guys can actually see it, but that's just the mom tent. And right now, I'm fitting out this space down here, doing a little ten by eight room. It's gonna be the flower space. Uh, getting everything framed out. Very that's excited great space. to be. Uh, Oh, yeah. Very excited to be getting a new space up and running. So just getting all the finer details worked out. Oh, yeah. Like really, really excited 
just going we'll have to from... have you on again in the future and get oh, an update. Oh, absolutely. Uh, built out. I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. But yeah, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know we only got five minutes. and uh, But yeah, really appreciate you guys having me on. No problem, man. And this is actually the time that we do our uh, final thoughts and shout outs. So if you want to let the people know where they can find you, and then we'll go into the rest of the panel and uh, wrap it up. Yeah, thanks oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh, dude, thanks for having me on. And thanks for having, thanks for the gear, dude. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm Maverick, M-M-A-V-R-I-C-K-K on Instagram. And I'm on Instagram and on the Bean Basement too. So if you want to find me and follow me along, I'll be right along there. But I'll be here every week, guys. So uh, thanks for having me on again. We greatly appreciate your support. And I'm glad that I finally know how to pronounce your name. I always wonder. Because, <laughs> you know, like the MMA, I was wondering if maybe you were like an MMA person or if uh, it was, I guess I should have just read the whole word. I would have figured it out. Oh no, no, no! It's all good. You, if I, if I could have taken uh, my usual name is like I'm Maverick. So if I could have taken that one, and if it was available on all platforms, I'd be rocking that. But I just picked Maverick. Just to keep failure. I like the consistency. Next up, we got the Dog Doctor. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, guys. Shout out to everybody. Shout out to you guys. To Shots. Thank you for having me. It's a humble, and it's a, a really a pleasure. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope that 2022 is the one for the. All of us, uh, you guys can find me on Instagram as Dog Doctor Official or on the Grow Diaries as Dog Doctor. I'm here always for everyone. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. You're a great dude. We love seeing your garden and uh, you got a good vibe. You're always welcome here. And uh, anybody Oops. like the Dog Doctor and uh, Maverick who want to join in the future whenever we kick that link out, just uh, know you're welcome and we love seeing the gardens and hearing the questions so thank you so much for joining and to our first panel member our resident ipm specialist general badass dude uh, matthew gates thanks for the introduction so yeah uh, for those who didn't know who i was again i am matthew gates the ipm specialist and i really appreciated the chat uh really good questions here and uh, i really enjoyed that we got to talk a little bit about ipm like we typically do if you want more plant health information you can find me in one of a few places uh, again, I have my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, which I will probably be doing a lot more live streams on in the next couple of months. That's one of my uh, goals for this next year. Um, I've definitely built up the, the viewer base and various people and, and contact. And uh, I think that I could probably apply a little bit more time to going over things more regularly. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, and my uh, diatribes, then please check me out at youtube.com slash Zenthanol. You can also find me on my Instagram, which is at SyncAngel, S-Y-N-C-H-A-N-G-E-L. And you can also find me on Twitter with the same handle. Thank you so much for joining. I am definitely a happy follower of that channel. There's so much great content you put out, and I greatly appreciate that. Um, sometimes I think the people don't appreciate the IPM. Like uh, I think Joe Schmo, the one episode we were talking a lot about Hoplate Enviroid is like, the show's getting worse every week. I just want more Brandon and Spartan grown. So hopefully he's happy. He got a lot of Brandon and Spartan grown this week. But uh, when I, I, I empathize with that. I always want more Brandon and Spartan grown. So I get it. I appreciate all everybody equally, but um, it, it is great to have everybody's input. But to that comment, I replied and I was like, what topics would you like to hear more about in the future? And they never replied. So, I mean, how, how can we get better if you're just going to throw shots from the sideline and not give any uh, constructive feedback? So we're welcome to feedback. I mean, you think it's getting worse some people think it's getting better i think it some weeks we have great shows it goes up and down but i always enjoy being here and we try our best to uh, always share good information so uh with that said i want to pass it over to brandon rust what's going on always a pleasure to be here with the rest of the panel members and uh, 
No, I appreciate all the support from the viewers and all the other people that support me and my company. So shout out to everybody. And uh, yeah, you can find me at Russ.Brandon, OkashiEarthworks.com. And yeah, I'm going to have a lot of cool upcoming projects this year, working on all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, keep an eye out and uh, I'll talk to you guys all next week. Looking forward to it. I always uh, love seeing your developing projects happening. Uh, some of the most impressive ones I've seen in the new cannabis legal industry, especially out there in Oklahoma, the greenhouse and even your indoor grow ops. It's been really fun to watch, um, even from afar. So I can't wait to get out there myself someday and, and visit. I know Aaron, the grower is still working on his build out out there as well. I want to go visit him. Hopefully you're still in Oklahoma by the time I'm able to get over there. But um, with that said, I want to pass it, uh, I believe last and certainly not least to the American one. Jack, thanks for hosting again. And thanks for the guests coming on, Maverick and Dog Doctor Official. Um, and I got to say hello to a lot of people in chat. If I missed anyone, I'm sorry. And yeah, I've been multitasking over here as usual. And um, it's always good seeing everyone in chat. And um, yeah, 2022 is what you make of it. Let's get it. And um, I guess that's about it. It's always awesome hearing Brandon talk about nutrients and what he finds because a lot of us don't have the either fundage or the even access to get your stuff properly tested, you know, all the time like that. So, um, yeah, that's always excellent. And a shout out to Dr. MJ Coco, who is in his absence. I'll tell everyone to go check out CocoForCannabis.com. And, uh, yeah, check out the forums and the Grow Challenge. Yeah. New Year's I mean, Grow Challenge kicking off right now. Yeah. If you yeah, just yeah. want seeds, you can uh, participate. New year, the new moon just happened. I know a lot of people like full moons. New moon's also supposed to be pretty good for popping seeds. I just popped a 20 velvet punch, so we'll see what comes of it. Definitely exciting. Uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, definitely shout out to uh, not only Dr. MJ, but also uh, Aaron the Grower, Noah the, the Grower, and Kyle Breeder of Pure Breeding. And uh, check all those guys out. Yes, everyone in their absence. And growers love to everybody who's here live with us and anybody who listens after both on the YouTube and in the podcast. We appreciate all of you. Uh, this community is amazing. I appreciate all the support. I know I mentioned the one negative comment, but um, more often than that, it's overwhelmingly positive. That's why it's kind of hard to direct the show. Sometimes it's like we, we don't get a lot of constructive feedback. Uh, most people are like, yeah, we love it. We'll, we'll just keep showing up each week. So we've got an audience of people that are pretty happy with uh, what we're doing. I enjoy the, the conversations and we try to you know, keep it entertaining as best we can and on topic and grow related as much as we can. But uh, if you ever do want to hear about more uh, different things, feel free to drop comments. We try to get back to the listeners. You saw we answered tons of questions tonight and we're willing to do so in the future. So thank you all so much for joining us. You can find me at Jack Greenstock on Instagram or email me jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com if you're not on the social medias. Uh, that's all I got for tonight. We've already gone over for a few minutes. Thank you all so much. Grows love. Catch you all next week. Good to be back. Happy New thank Year. You. And uh, like Tao said, don't don't let it be an option. 2022, make it your year. Just go out, work your ass off, do good to people, and the people around you, all that shit's going to come back around to you. Karma's real. Uh, much love. Peace and love, everybody.